February 2, 2023 here, and uh, Flyers at the, well, not quite midway point, midway point was a couple weeks ago, the All-Star break here with uh, Kevin Hayes as the low and All-Star. Still warms my heart that uh, Konechny is nowhere to be found, but overall, uh, you know, a lot of positives talking about the Flyers here. I believe they're sitting 21-21-9, uh, and nine, which is tied for the third most overtime losses in the league right now with the Calgary Flames. The Sharks and Stars are the first and second team there. But uh, overall, the season ended today, they would be picking 10th in the draft lottery, which, uh, you know, it's what a lot of people predicted going into the season. In the, the 8 to 10 range, that's where I was at, in the 8 to 10, 8 to 12, and uh, that's where they are. You know, and all things considered so far, Anthony, I think it's been a fairly decent season, all bite frustrating just because of, you know, the 10 years now of uh, the losing going on, but... There have been a lot of positive progressions throughout the year that, uh, you know, hopefully they can capitalize on moving forward. Yeah, I mean, obviously, if you're a pro tanker, the whole season has gone to shit, and <laughs> I could understand that line of thinking. But I think when you look at this roster objectively and without the I hate Chuck Fletcher and everything he's affiliated with goggles on, uh, I think you could point to a lot of positives that have gone on here. And I think that... For me, the biggest positive is that you have a lot of guys on this roster who presumably are going to be part of this team for the long haul here, and they're getting used to a new culture. And I know that's kind of become a cliche, and you know they did that whole preseason video called The Standard and all that, and it seems really kind of like wishy-washy and fabricated, but... I think we're realizing that that was a major issue here. And, you know, you go back to the 2020-21 season, following what they did in the 2020 playoffs. And, look, they were obviously missing Matt Niskanen, for sure. But that was largely the same roster they had uh, the year prior. And, yes, obviously COVID, there was a lot of off-ice circumstances that made it very, very unique and things that obviously impacted. But that was a team that had Claude Giroux, that had Jake Vorchek, that had Sean Couturier, and had Travis Konechny. And they really kind of had stuff blow up in their face and losing 9 nothing on how many occasions. And it was kind of something that we've been talking about for a while, that it just felt that a page needed to be turned. And look, like I say all the time when we go into these discussions, it's not me sitting here saying that Claude Giroux was the issue or Jake Voracek was the issue. Or, I mean, I guess in a lot of ways, um, Sean Couture was the issue, even though he's still going to be back on the team sooner rather than later. It's more just that I think a new leaf needed to be turned. And we're seeing it now that it just feels like a brand new vibe around this team. Yeah, it goes back to, you know, tanking versus building a new culture and, and bringing in the Tortorellas and, 
You know, you could have thrown away this season for Bedard, but it, it begs the question of if this team went through another year like they had the last couple of years, I mean, what's even worth salvaging? And, uh, yeah. you're, you're, the culture's not there. The losing mentality is palpable. It was real bad the last couple of years. So having somebody like Tortorella come in and, and whip these fuckers into shape and get them back out and, and producing at least some level of on-ice fight, you know, it, it, it really does mean a lot to this team to get back on there. And yeah, they're probably going to miss out on Bedard. But at the end of the day, like, I'd rather them build a sturdy foundation than I would suffer just to have Bedard. You know, that one diamond on a pile of horse shit versus, you know, actually building a team for the future. You know, they still need to address their high-end talent. I'm sure that'll be, you know, a topic as we move closer and closer into the offseason here. But, uh, you know, I think re-establishing just a foundation, a, a, a workhorse mentality that Tortorella has brought was the right way to go about it at the end of the day, even if you're going to miss out on somebody like Bedard because of it. And these are a lot of guys on this roster that are going to be here for the long haul. Like, whether you agree with the contract or not, Travis Sanheim's going to be here for a long time. Ditto for Rasmus Ristolainen. Carter Hart, you know, he's not a full-timer in the NHL right now, but Felix Sandstrom, presumably. Then you look at guys like Joel Farabee, although he struggled this year. Travis Konechny, Noah Cates, Owen Tippett, Wade Allison, Morgan Frost. Like, these are all guys that theoretically could be here for the next five, six, seven years. And, you know, you look at what's going on in Lehigh Valley, and I think that they're having a pretty good season, all things considered. You can speak to that more than me. And there's a lot of players down there as well that are probably, you know, within the next 12 months or so, are probably going to be making the jump to the NHL roster, like guys like Denye and Forster and Bobby Brink and Igor Zamula or whoever, Urson, as we just talked about. It's just, I don't know if completely wasting this season and just, you know, you know, bringing back Mike Yo for a year and just, like, not caring about winning or whatever and putting all your eggs in the basket of Connor Bedard or Adam Fentelli or Leo Carlson to come in here and single-handedly change your franchise would have been very wise because this isn't the Chicago Blackhawks where you have, you know, primarily all your players who won't be part of the future or, or the Arizona Coyotes, who do have some of those guys, but still a lot of veterans who won't be there long term. I I just I think the Flyers were in a kind of a unique spot here where they had a lot of the holdover younger pieces from the Hextall years, and they had a lot of new guys coming based on the decent drafting that we've seen under Chuck Fletcher and Brent Flair, who even their biggest haters most will agree that drafting is kind of, has kind of historically been their strong suit. So. You know, I, I've seen a lot of people say, and I think we talked about it on our last show, like, well, you know, they, they should have tried harder to be as bad as the Ducks or as bad as the Blackhawks. And it's just like, you know how many guys they would have had to trade off this roster to be that bad? They would have literally had to strip it down to the bone. And, you know, when I look at this team and the young pieces that they have, I don't know if they necessarily need a full scorched earth rebuild. Like, we hear a lot of people saying they should still be gearing towards a rebuild. And I mean... I, like, in some ways I agree, but to what extent? Like, what extent of a rebuild are you looking for? Like, do you want to strip down every bit of talent you have that's older than 25? Do you want to just hold off on making a big free agent acquisition at this point? But the other flip side of this is, is that I do think that they have a decent foundation here. Not a good core, because I think a core entails having high-end star players, 
but a foundation in the sense of like you have like a group of probably like six to ten guys here that could be here part of the long-term solution and I just I wonder if like are you going to waste these guys if you just keep trying to lose and wait for that one crown jewel to come in and save your franchise I don't even know what a rebuild at this point in time would entail for the Flyers. Are they not kind of rebuilding now? Like They don't even have, if you were to strip this team down, what are you even going to trade that has value? You have Konechny, Provorov, and Hart. Other than that, I mean, maybe Farabee, but considering he's on a $5 million contract for the next five years and his play has not been great, that's a haze. You're going to struggle moving him as is. I, I just maybe don't even know what. <laughs> Owen Tippett. What, like, what are these players outside of the big three there even going to bring you if you were to strip this roster down and start again? It's not like you've got... You know, the the Ron Hextall era, you know, of peak Claude Giroux, peak Voracek, peak Wade and Simmons. You know, if you had players like that and wanted to, you know, argue for a rebuild, I could at least hear you out because there's there would be pieces there to rebuild around. But right now, you only have two or three players on this team that are worth anything via trade. And that's not enough to to fully restart. You know, I think in a perfect world here, you mentioned the Phantoms, you know, they're they're having up and down seasons, but the individual progression of a lot of these young guys have been very good. Lexel, Dana, hey, Forster's really turned it on in the last month. Then you got guys like Adderd and Samula and Bobby Brink coming back from injury. Like, you do have a lot of guys down there. The Bottom nine of the forwards are basically set. Your defense, you know, for better or worse, a lot of these guys are here for, you know, foreseeable future. Yeah, you're missing the high-end talent. You know, that that's what it is. And that's stuff that if you really wanted to, and this is, you know, obviously where the fork in the road emerges, you can get them via trade, you know, via free agency if you really, really wanted to. And that's what all this comes back to is, you know, how how hard are the Flyers going to go into the offseason this year and actually try and address that lack of high-end talent. That's where I lose faith in this whole friggin' process here. But the pieces that are on this roster, like, I, I don't think you need a rebuild. You've got a lot of young guys, you know, Owen Tippett and Wade Allison. They look like they can be your middle six right-wingers for years. You know, I, I just don't think, other than the complete lack of center depth this team has, you know, you've got a, a really solid, younger foundation that's going to make up a majority of this roster. It all boils back to the lack of friggin' star power you got. And even in that sense, you know, the Phantoms don't provide much. That may be Forster, but I think it's too early to call him a star. You know, you, you, you need some of that skill, but... I don't think this roster needs a rebuild in their traditional, you know, Blackhawks tear it all down and start again sense. There's just nothing here that properly resembles a product to tear down in the first place. I think it's because they came out of a Ron Hextall year, uh, era where he didn't do it well, but he still did compile several good pieces. And we're seeing that still today, like Travis Konechny, Ivan Provorov, Travis Sanheim, Carter Hart. Samuel Urson, Noah Cates, these are all Morgan Frost. These are all holdovers from that Hextall era because he did focus so much on rebuilding. It wasn't like prior to Chuck Fletcher that it was Ron Holmgren, uh, Ron Holmgren, Paul Holmgren's, you know, Wild West where he was just trading draft picks. And then again, under Chuck Fletcher, I mean, aside from one year, which was the crapshoot year of 2021, he's held on to all of his first round picks. He's brought in Cam York. He drafted Cutter Gauthier. He drafted Bobby Brink. He drafted Tyson Forster. You know, he traded for Owen Tippett. Like, 
So, I mean, between Hextall and Fletcher over the last decade or so, they have, like, like I guess, acquired talent through the draft. It's just that they've been so much in that muddy middle that they haven't gotten that high-end talent. But they still have assembled talent. And talent that's not to, like, you know, scoff at. Like, you know, you have Travis Konechny, who's kind of like a tweener between a high-end second liner and a low-end first liner. Joel Farabee, yeah, he's struggling this year. But I think that he will... I think he's a solid second liner on most teams in the NHL. Owen Tippett and Wade Allison, you just alluded to. And then, you know, you look at their defense. Do they have a bona fide number one? No, but they have a good number two in Ivan Provorov. You have a guy who's looking like he'll be a long-term good number two in Cam York. Travis Sanheim's a number three, struggled this year, but I think in large part to Tony D'Angelo. And then in your goaltending, you're set for this foreseeable future with guys like Carter Hart, Samuel Orson, Sandstrom is what he is. You have the two guys over in Russia. So, I mean, it's just, I don't, like you said, I don't think it's a situation like a Chicago or an Anaheim where you just are working with absolutely nothing here. You have things to work with. It's just that you're missing those quintessential pieces up front. And that's why when everyone says, like, you know, they're so far off, it's like, well, what do you mean? In the way of quality or in the way of quantity? Because in the way of quality, yeah, 100%, they are far off. But if we're being honest, like, what is this team really missing from being an upper echelon team? Because for me, it's two top-line forwards and a top-pairing defenseman. Now, I think that they may have that long-term in Cutter Gauthier. I think that maybe he could be your top-line left wing for this foreseeable future. But how far off is he? But then that still leaves the question that you're missing a top-line center long-term and a top-pairing right-shot D long-term. And those things are extremely hard to come by. So I'm not going to sit here and say, like, oh, yeah, those are easy to find. So in that way, they are far off. But it's not like they have to just completely reconstruct, like, a third to half of this roster. There are very good pieces here. They're just missing the most crucial pieces. Yeah. You need a basically an entire top line and a somewhat revamped defense, um, whether that be a top righty or a top lefty, depending on how you want to deploy Cam York in the future and what they ultimately do with Provorov. <coughs> but, yeah, it, it's, not, it's not a rebuild in the sense of a word rebuild. It's more a matter of whether or not they want to acquire that high-end talent. And, you know, if guys like Dylan Larkin hit free agency this year, David Pasternak hits free agency this year, you know, which are all big ifs at this point. But, you know, th- those are the kind of players that are lacking. And, unfortunately, the Flyers are in quite a financial pickle to, uh, you know, to get those guys. And, that you know, that boils down to... What do you do with guys like Kevin A's? You know, do you get rid of him and, and at any cost and free up enough money to go pursue these guys? Or do you do what you did last year? You know, the JVRS guy of we don't want to match the price tag that these teams are asking to eat this kind of salary, so we sit in our hands and do nothing and run it back again next year. Like, that, that's kind of where I'm at. Uh, the results for the rest of the season don't particularly matter. The trade deadline is going to be relatively boring, I assume. It's more or less do they try to acquire these missing high-end pieces? Color me skeptical eh, after last year, because I think last year paints a very similar picture to what this offseason could look like in terms of the financial constrictions around the league. And, you know, I, I just, uh, I gave him the benefit of the doubt last year, old Chuck Fletcher, and uh, he didn't uh, didn't live up to my hype. So, you know, fool me once, but uh, I don't think it's, uh, I don't know. 
I don't know. Like, there's good reason to go into it. This is the whole stabilization year in the first place. And in a lot of senses, even on only at the halfway point here, you've hit that. You know, I, I think you've achieved a lot of your goals going into this season, which is good. But, you know, it's a matter of now taking that next step forward, that next proper step forward. And uh, this front office has not always uh, been the best at utilizing off-seasons to their advantage. So uh, that that's my big question going forward is whether or not we see, uh, see an honest attempt made at, uh, you know, adding talent and kind of fixing these major holes that are on this team to propel them back into the playoffs. Because that would theoretically be the next step, right? Because yeah. we've seen this team now... After, I would say, the first two months, month and a half, two months, like, they've been good. Like, you know, it's a small sample size, but since the Christmas break, the last 16 games, they've gone on a 10-4-2 run. That's about 19% of the season, if I'm not mistaken. But if you prorated that over 82 games, like, let's say that's what they played at, which they wouldn't, that's 113 points over 82 games. They're not a 113-point team, obviously. But maybe are, like, they a 95-point team? Like, are they right on the cusp of being a playoff team? And I think that's fair. But where do you go to build off of that? Do you try and get a lot worse before you get better? Or do you try and, you know, build off what what you have here? And, you know, in a lot of ways, I I remember in 2015-16 when they went on, like, that miracle run. You remember that on the back of, like, uh, Carter Hart? Uh, no, not Carter Steve Hart. Mason. Steve Mason. Yeah. And I believe that was the first uh, season for Shane Gossespear, if, if I'm not mistaken. And, you know, that was an awesome run, that, that amazing, like, run down the stretch. I think they won, like, 19 of 24 games or something like that. And it was great, right? And then they went into the playoffs and they got shit-kicked by the Washington Capitals. And that you can make the case that like that was a wasted season because what did that do for the long-term future of those teams? But let's look at who was on that roster. Obviously, you have Giroux and Simmons and Shannon Voracek, Gossespierre at the time, and Sean Couturier. But now after those guys, Michael Roffel, Matt Reed, Mark Streit, Scott Lawton, who was a part of this team long-term, Brian White, Sam Gagne, Belmar, Gudis, Vandevelde, Delzato, Medvedev, Cousins, Umberger, Schultz, McDonald, like just had a horrible, this- horrible PTSD. God know, damn. Exactly. <laughs> but like all this to say is that 75% of that roster were bums who had no long-term future on this team. I don't think it's the same now. Like like we said, I think we did this exercise last time. How many players on this team could you honestly look at and say they are 100% not going to be here by next season or even beyond. And I mean, you have JVR. You have oh, they're going to resign Braun. him. They'll bring him back. <laughs> you have JVR. You have Justin Braun. After that, like, you know, I think that eventually maybe they'll try and find a way to trade him. But like, I don't think Kevin Hayes is a slam dunk to get moved. And you can make the case that he's been their best forward over the last month. Analytics and point production. Travis Konechny, theoretically long-term here. Farabee, long-term here. Lawton's probably the next captain of this team. Delorier isn't going anywhere. <laughs> Tippett's, Tippett's not going anywhere. Cates is here for the long-term. Probably Zach McEwen doesn't have much of a future here long-term. 
Frost theoretically could be here long term. Allison as well. Provorov, I mean, he's kind of like in that middle in that middle range, but I mean, from an on ice perspective, you can make the case to keep him long term. Ristolainen, I think, is here long term. D'Angelo, probably not. Sanheim, I think he is. So like could York Hart like so I don't think it's the same as those years where you were just in that muddy middle with like guys who weren't really part of the long-term fix here. Nowadays, I think it's almost the complete opposite and which lends itself to say, do you want a losing culture to seep into a room of a bunch of guys who are going to be here for the long haul? It's the cruel, cruel twist of fate that the Flyers had where all those years you had the high-end talent. You had three, four, five really good forwards, but you had no forward depth whatsoever. Your defense was kind of shaky. Your goaltending was hit or miss. Steve Mason was very good, but everybody else was, was not. You know, Now you got depth for days. You know, you got two teams worth of forward depth here, but you're missing those three, four, five really good high-end difference-making players. And, you know, <laughs> it all comes back to whether or not they attempt to get them this summer. And I, it, it makes sense. It's the next logical step at this point. You don't need to rebuild. You don't need to waste another season drafting, especially if that draft pick ends up being, you know, 11th or 12th overall. You know, you may get a good player there, but that's three to five year wait. It's not a Bedard game changing right now kind of guy. The next logical step is making moves forward, doing what you got to do to clear that cap. And again, that's going to go back to guys like Kevin Hayes and Ivan Provorov and how you handle those situations. But you know, I I don't know if anybody's got faith in Fletcher to, to do so. And I do wonder, what happens if they keep this roster relatively identical? You know, maybe you move one or two guys, you add one or two depth players, maybe a depth center, a third-line center, something like that. Do you think the Tortorella effect can work twice? Do you think if they run it back with a relatively... Like, they have busted their ass this year. You can say a lot of things about the Flyers, but being lazy is not one of them. You know, if they run it back and they're still kind of a, a on the outside looking in of a playoff spot, can this Tortorella effect work again? Can he really drag the most out of these guys for a long period of time again if the roster does not improve? Like, I feel like that could be a very interesting question going the next season as well if the front office ultimately box at having talent. I mean, is it going to work again to the, to the extent that it's working now? Probably not. I, I do think John Tortorella, aside from his stint in Vancouver, which was obviously the outlier in his entire career, has demonstrated that he does have long stretches with teams. Like, he was in Columbus for how many years? Seven? Like, And then even when he did leave, it was like a mutual parting between the two sides. Uh, in New York, I think he was there for four or five years. Tampa, he was there for a while. So, I mean... I, I think John Tortorella is a guy that can outlast the median amount of time that most coaches have. But, I mean, I do think the way he coaches and how hard he pushes may wear thin if they just stay stagnant and there's no real step taken. And, look, like, Columbus was a nice story under John Tortorella. And, you know, we spoke to our good friend Brian Hedger uh, numerous times and he's always said how John Tortorella really changed the identity of that team and really kind of put that franchise on the map in a lot of ways even more so than maybe Rick Nash did but I mean 
what were the Columbus Blue Jackets really? Like you had Artemi Panarin and you had that one season where they did get out of the first round and I believe it was 2019 when they beat the uh, Tampa Bay Lightning in a clean sweep. But you don't want to just be like that super respectable team who's like always like on the bubble of playoff contention, but it's hard to play against. Like you want to be more than that. And I think the Flyers can be more than that. Like I just think they have more overall talent and depth than those or have the potential to have more talent overall depth than those Columbus teams had. Like those teams had Artemi Panarin for sure. You had P. Cam Atkinson. And, but did they ever really have like a top line center? I mean, Johansson for a cup of coffee, maybe Dubois for a cup of coffee. But I mean, I don't think that you should have the bar of being the Columbus Blue Jackets because then when you look back in retrospect, what was the John Tortorella? Just a respectable bubble team for a lot of years. And that's what you do not want. And I mean, do I think that this team's ever going to bottom out with Tortorella? Probably not. I think he has enough buy-in. And I do think, as we just list off, the Flyers have a lo- enough talent here in the mid to long term to prevent that happening. But you also just don't want to stay in this spot, in that muddy middle. So if you want to, you know, take that next step, I think it's imperative that you really go out and you look for a free agent or you look in free agency to really push those those that this team forward rather and i mean easier said than done obviously i mean you want a top line center you want a top pairing right shot defenseman you know off the top of my head i mean dylan larkin and probably damon severson are probably those two guys severson i'm you know i'm kind of sketchy on i think playing to a second pair in um in new jersey right now you're also matthew dumba but, I mean, you got to take that leap eventually, right? you got to try and take that leap. And, I mean, I guess at least, even though the move hasn't worked out, in retrospect, it's probably one of his worst moves. But at least with Tony D'Angelo, they tried to make, plug that hole. I think it was kind of poor projection into how he would fit stylistically on this team. But if you are going to keep this team intact, you can't just, you know, tread water. I was okay treading water for this year because of the climate of the financial situation the salary cap in the nhl and just because when i looked at the roster heading into the summer i said there's no way that they're going to be able to swing this into a competitive team but i think now based on (laughs) what they've done and what some of these players have how they've played like uh kevin hayes and recently ivan provorov has been really you know i guess battling back in a lot of ways and upping his play i think he's had a really good month here now maybe you can flip some of these guys for some true value and really kind of fix the way you want to want this team to look going into next season. Yeah, I think the Blue Jackets are are the fair comparison. And honestly, uh, probably a bit of a mirror there. You know, a, a really good kind of hard-working bubble team, but, you know, that just did not have the the talent to to really make an impact there outside of upsetting the uh, the, the bolts that one playoff run but yeah it, it's what you don't you want to be more than that and you know that's that's the big question is this is you know it's not easy to acquire these top players it's not going to be easy it's not going to be cheap it's not going to be painless and the spotty track record at best that Chuck Fletcher has presented here during his days in Philadelphia, you know, really do not lead to the um, abundance of confidence that this guy is going to 
you know, then all of a sudden he's going to put on his big boy pants this summer and really go to town and and make these moves. So, and listen, this team does not need to be a cup-caliber team next year. I'm not saying they need to look like the friggin' Boston Bruins. But there needs to be a palpable step forward. If you can add one of these high-end guys, if you add, say, Dylan Larkin, and then Cutter Gauthier shows up, Forster makes the jump next year, you know, you kind of, of get a little internal help. Maybe Danoye takes over for 3C. You get some of that internal help. You make the playoffs next year. Maybe you get your shit rocked by whoever the top team is, the Hurricanes or something. But at the end of the day, you made a palpable step forward. That's kind of what I'm looking for here. You know, I'm not saying you have to win a cup next year. I'm not saying you got to be this. I want progression, which is the big friggin' missing link here that has happened all dating all the way back to the Hextall era. It was always one year you're kind of good, one year you're bad. One year, I mean, they're going to miss the playoffs for the third consecutive year since 1992 this year. You know, it's crazy. So it really is time to get this franchise back on track, get some level of, of progression in, and that comes back to... Adding uh, exterior high-end talent and how they go about doing that, who ultimately becomes available is stuff that will be seen, you know, more as the off-season approaches and the trade rumors start popping up and all this and that, you know, we'll get, you know, real names to start talking about, but it's stuff that definitely needs to be done and it all comes back to uh, whether or not they do it. I I don't think people understand that it can't be just one extreme to another. You can't go from being a bottom feeder, which they were last season, and then immediately jump to, you know, pl- like cup contender. And look, there there is something to be said that you know trying to build a good culture means nothing without high end talent. There there is something to be said about that for sure. But I mean, you know, I. I think that based on people I've spoken to, even if you are drafting in that, let's say, 10 to 15 range, maybe you're still going to get a first-line player. Like, maybe you're still going to get a Brandon Yeager. Maybe you're still going to get a Will Smith. Maybe you're still going to get an Ethan Gautier. Like, these are guys that I think that potentially, maybe they're not going to be you know, like Connor Bedard or that would like the, the elite of the elite, like McDavid or Matthews or McKinnon or whatever. But like, what if you draft like a Matthew Barzal? What if you draft a Dylan Larkin? What if you draft a Mark Shifley, like those ilk of players, is that good enough? Like, would you rather build a good culture and maintain a good foundation of depth and, you know, just a good winning attitude and get a Barzal or a Larkin or a Shifley or would you rather just strip it all down, let just complete pandemonium set in, you get rid of all your decent talent in the way of depth and, like, I guess, second-line quality pieces just to try and land that McDavid or an Eichel? And, you know, I, I look at what happened with the Buffalo Sabres for all those years they tried to tank, and they were able to bring in high-end talent like Jack Eichel. And in the end, there was just so much losing and such a bad culture that he ultimately had to be traded. You look at the the Edmonton Oilers. Like, yeah, now they're slowly starting to figure it out. They went to the conference final last year, but they had two, arguably the two best players in the world for a number of years, and they still couldn't get out of the first round or struggled to make the playoffs. Like, I, I just think that there there is something to be said about creating a good culture. And if you play organized sports at any level like even a sunday night beer league losing fucking sucks and it affects the way your room operates your team how your team communicates with each other 
it fucking ruins everything. And I'm just not sure if the Flyers, let's say, were, let's say they were last year. Like, last year was like a complete dog shit, arguably tanking year, correct? Imagine that team, and then the next year, Connor Bedard shows up. Is he going to save everything? Probably not, no. Because, yes, you have one, and I think you said it, like, you would have one crown jewel surrounded by a pile of shit. I mean, the Oilers and, did it with McDavid. Like, McDavid was really good, but that team was so goddamn bad when he showed up that it's taken all these years to get them, you know, back to the, the conference finals and being a competitive hockey team every night because they let that team expire so badly that it took all those years to to get away from those bad players and that bad contract and actually build a, a worthwhile team up. And they had two guys. They also had dry side. Yeah, they had freaking dry side. So, I mean, I, I just look at it in a lot of ways, and then even, like, the... Um, Look at the Avalanche. Like, they drafted McKinnon in 2013, and they only really started being a very competitive team in, what, the 2021 season? Like, yeah. I mean, it's... Like, there's... Yes, you want those elite pieces, of course. And then you look at, let's say, the Toronto Maple Leafs. Like, yeah, they drafted Matthews, and as soon as they drafted him, they've been, made the playoffs every season since. But they had already drafted Marner. They had already drafted Nylander. They already had drafted Morgan Riley. Like, when he showed up, they had, like, decent players like Kadri and Van Riemsdyk and Bozak already on the roster. So, I mean, like, there, there isn't a one-size-fits-all thing. But I guess maybe I'm just overrating the Flyers' pieces. And I'm not saying that they have first-line talent. I think Travis Konechny, if he's the worst player on your top line, like, you're probably doing all right. But, I mean, I just don't know if it's worth pissing away all of these players. Because you can see the way this team is shaping up or the way it could look long term. And I mean, like, if you just brought in, like, Larkin and I guess Severson, I guess he's your best option if you're going in free agency into next season. Like, how, like, I wonder how good this team is. Like, and depends what happens with Cutter Goatsy. It depends what you get in return for guys like. If you move a Provorov or if you move a Kevin Hayes, it depends who you draft this year. Because maybe if you end up drafting in like, you end up drafting like a Brandon Yeager. Maybe he's on your roster in 24-25. Like, you know, I had someone tell me yesterday that he's probably going like in the top four if it's last year's draft, you know? So it is a better draft in that regard. So, I mean, it's, uh, I, I just don't think they're that far off to warrant just completely gutting it to the studs and i mean obviously there's an inherent risk with that because then you run the risk of not going after that elite of the elite piece but i just maybe i'm like i said maybe i'm overreading it but i don't hate what they've assembled here on this roster no and, and we've mentioned it before you know if you had a legit top line and you could drop tip it and connect me down to the second line and even Morgan Frost in that role. And then you drop, you know, whoever the hell's in the second lane these days down to the third line and the third line to the fourth line. All of a sudden, that's really good. You know, the, the depth is not the problem. You know, there may be pieces you can still use to upgrade, you know. But at the end of the day, if you had a proper scoring line and players that could carry the weight, the offensive load that this team desperately needs, and you can just let Tippett and Konechny kind of play their game and do their thing. And, you know, Forrester shows up eventually. And Allison can be a good, you know, a power play piece. You know, like, you really do have a solid foundation. It's not the lack of depth on this team. And that's kind of why I steer away from a 
complete rebuild at this point. You know, if this team still had the Vandevaldis and Belmars and Dale Weeses of the world, you know what? Yeah, maybe it's time to throw in the towel and fucking try again. But but I think so much of that is already established. And the teams that struggle, the Edmontons and the Torontos, and you know, those teams struggle with depth. They have the high-end players. They don't have the depth, and they kind of struggle because of it. You know, the Flyers have more depth than they'll ever need, but they are missing the high-end players, and that's changing the game because they don't have the guys that step up when truly necessary to change the game. So if they added those guys, you know, you may have something here. If they add a Larkin and Gautier shows up and Forster is, is worthy at the NHL level, all of a sudden you got a top line. They're like, you know what? They may be a playoff team next year and they may make noise in the playoffs. You know, I, I just, it's so frustrating to sit at this level and, and the fact that we have to even talk about a rebuild at this point versus just put your pedal to the friggin' metal, go get these high-end players and go reestablish the Flyers as a, you know, worthy NHL franchise. It's been so goddamn long since this team has been good. Give me some good hockey. They're not that far off, but, you know, it's those are the pieces that are going to be the hardest to get and especially with the cap all fucked up still. You know, it's not going to be easy. It's going to take some risks. You may have to trade one or two of these prospects that we've been talking about in order to get that guy. But you know what? If that guy propels you to the playoffs and can carry this team and make a difference, you're not going to forget. It's like St. Louis with uh, Braden Shen. You think anybody in St. Louis has any fucking idea who Morgan Frost is? No, they don't care because they got a Stanley Cup. You know, that, that that's the kind of decision that needs to be made here. And, you know, they may be a couple years away from legitimate go time. But like I said, you need a palpable step in the right direction here. That's what this summer needs to be about. And, yeah, you know what, Larkin, you may have to overpay the guy. You may end up paying him, you know, $9 million. It's not going to be cheap. It's not going to be easy. But, you know what, I'd rather be paying Larkin $9 million than I would be paying Sean Couturier $7.7 million. What the fuck? What's Sean Couturier, by the way? It's February. Shouldn't this guy be back anyway? Regardless, mm-hmm. you, you know, you need that kind of a... Uh, you need those big-time players, and they're not going to be easy. But it could be the difference between this team making the playoffs and this team missing it for a fourth consecutive year since uh, 1993. Yeah, and, I mean, you know, you like let's say next season your bottom six is Scott Lawton, Noah Cates, Bobby Brink, and then your fourth line is Delorier, Denoyer, Allison a pretty fun bottom six right yeah that's pretty solid and then your second line like obviously this is where it kind of gets dicey here like you kind of have like assuming let's say he doesn't come out of the gate let's say assuming goatsy doesn't show up right away okay let's say goes back and he comes back midway through the year or whatever your top line is joel farabee dylan larkin travis konechny and your second line is Owen Tippett, Sean Couturier, and Atkinson. Assuming those two guys come back 75% of what they were. And, you know, Atkinson, maybe you could shift him down to the third line or whatever. It's not a terrible lineup, is it? No, I don't think so. It's a matter and of where then, they kind of top out potential-wise. But on paper, that's a solid unit. And then on defense, obviously, maybe you have York Severson... Sanheim Ristolainen, assuming Ristolainen maintains this level of play. People would lose and their then... goddamn minds if Severson and Ristolainen were on the same team. Yeah. I mean, but, I mean, the, you know, even with that, like, the right shot defense thing, like, I, I always tell people, like, okay, you, you don't like that they allocated that money to Ristolainen and uh, D'Angelo. Fine, fair. 
but that money still has to be paid there. Yeah, what the hell it's else were like, you gonna do? Well, like it's just give like up the money on Klingberg or something like that. Well, it's just a lot of people say like you know, well they they paid ten million dollars to those two guys when they could have given it to Johnny Goudreau. Like, okay, fair, but what you're just not gonna Who's have playing defense then? Yeah, <laughs> have six lefties out there. That's a good idea. Well, like the question, like it's not a question of that they allocate the money to that position. It's that did they allocate that money to the right players to play that position? That's the question. And I know people just don't want to hear about the right left thing, but like in the years where the Flyers' defense was a tire fire, like okay, there were the very good years where you had you know Pronger playing the right side or Coburn playing the right side, where those were very good players, but. You know, in the really bad years when you had, like, McDonald playing the right side and Nick Schultz playing the right side and Robert Hag playing the right side, like, I mean, it makes a difference. Like, I don't know why people are so upset when they hear that handedness on defense is important. Yeah, I, I get that a lot. I think there are a lot of people that don't even know what hand these players shoot with. I still laugh when people have, you know, Justin Braun on the left side and shit like that. It's like, that's not that's not how this is supposed to be. Lefties are on the left, righties are on the right. You know, that, that's how your perfect defense uh, set, uh, setup there is supposed to be. And that's why guys like Ristolainen are so important. That's why the Flyers have been trying desperately all these freaking years since Niskanen retired to to try and find a top right-handed guy. They got Ellis, they got Ristolainen, they got D'Angelo. And one after another, something has gone wrong there. But you know what? They're trying to fill that role as desperately as they are because it means something. You know, it, it, the left-right thing is a legitimate part of this game that, that a lot of people, as you noted, do not seem to put any kind of value into there. Um you know, York works well in that role. And there are some lefties that that can hang in that spot. Uh, Roman Yosey's been playing on the right side in Nashville well, alongside McDonough. You know, and he's a natural left shot. But, you know, he's, he can produce offense from that role. It's the better uh, side to shoot from. But, you know, at the end of the day, you really do need these lefties and righties. And um, they've tried so hard. But, you know, th th that's the thing with Ristolainen was... That summer, it was Ristolainen or Klingberg were essentially the only two notable righties out there. And that's why Dianzo was here last year, because there was no notable righties out there. You know, you're kind of picking the one or two best players available in that crop, even though overall they may not be what you need for this role. And, um, you know, I don't know whether they dip their toes back in that market this year. Um, with Justin Braun hopefully gone for good, maybe, they, maybe they'll look into it. But, you know, you got Adderd in the system. I don't think Wiley ever makes it, uh, at least not on a full-time basis. You know, they've been forcing Zamula on the right side with kind of mixed results, but he's a natural lefty as well. Um, so you, you do kind of have some in-house options there, but I don't think either one of them are, are top guys, certainly not at this point in their career. And, you know, D'Angelo has been very hit or miss in that role. Ristolainen's not a legitimate top guy. You know, the, 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 it's no coincidence the better Ristolainen plays is kind of lesser on the team, you know, the lesser roles um, is just kind of seeks out that way. So, yeah, I don't know whether they dive into the right-handed role. You could try and plug it into next year and hope the deadline looks better. I don't know what the 2024 for aging class looks like off the top of my head when it comes to right-handed defensemen. But, you know, maybe some of these assets being used to, uh, the, the money and allocation, rather, being used to acquire some high-end forwards would be better this year rather than giving up three freaking draft picks for D'Angelo again, you know, or something along that nature. Rather give up those draft picks for for forward scoring help than I would trying to repair this D and just kind of see what it looks like next year. And obviously this all boils down to what they do with Provorov. Um, but 
yeah, you know, it, it, it's a it's a very noteworthy thing. The the left right shot is how this tangent all started, as you alluded to. Do you think there's any way that Pro Raw is back here next year? I'm still of the belief that I think they get rid of him, but you know, there's enough reason from an on ice perspective to not get rid of him. And and I wrote that piece a couple days before I did that whole friggin' Pride Night stunt. Like, of all the reasons why you need to keep him. And a lot of it boils down to just, he plays a role that nobody else does on this team. Nobody else can eat those minutes. And you can say, well, York can, or Sanheim can. Like, you can throw him in that spot, but whether or not they have any level of success, whether or not they can eat 30 minutes a night, you know, is kind of TBD. And it's hard. It's a hard thing to part with and there's a lot of behind the scenes things here that we have no idea who the hell knows what that room looks like these days uh, with Provorov in there and you know uh, uh, if I was a betting man I think he's gone but I, I'm skeptical of what this defense looks like without him and I'm even more skeptical that they're going to get a net positive in a trade for the guy at this point in time um, it's just it's going to be a very interesting situation how this works out because uh it could easily backfire, you know, to to a point where this whole defense then gets in trouble. You may not think of him as a top, you know, legit number one guy, and he's probably not. But you know, he he plays a role that is going to be very difficult to fill either internally or externally. And if you cannot get a proper good return for the guy, you know, a legit young top lefty to fill his player, top righty would be even better. Yeah, you know, to play along there with him, um, which I would assume most teams probably are not going to give up. You know, it begs the question, is is a first-round pick and a third-round pick enough for Provorov? And even after his stunts, even after the potential of, of whatever kind of locker room cancer this guy may be, that's not a good return. You know, it's just not enough. So, like I said, if I was a betting man, I think Provorov is gone, but uh, there's definitely reasons to be hesitant um, to, to move him, um, just because the, the, the on-ice play um, could struggle immensely without this guy in the roster. Well, the way I look at it is that he averages 23 minutes and 10 seconds a night. And I'm not going to count D'Angelo because he's 10 seconds behind him per game. But I think his ice time has gradually been decreasing after being overloaded earlier in the season. And he's just been a tire fire for a stretch here. So I'm going to look at Sanheim and York, right? Because those two would be the guys to kind of take on his load. Yes. So at even strength, he play Provorov plays 1908. Sanheim plays 18. York plays 1717. So you'd basically be asking those two guys to take on maybe a shift more at even strength per per night, which isn't terrible, right? That's not a terrible. That's ask. doable. Yeah. For, yeah, that's doable. But for me, it's the it's shorthanded. He play he's averaging two minutes and 58 seconds a game of shorthanded time on ice. Wow. The next closest guy is Ristolainen at 205 per per game of shorthanded time on ice. That's substantial. Then you have San... Yeah. Pardon me? That's substantial. Then you have Sanheim, who's averaging 1 minute and 58 seconds a game. So basically, a little more than two shifts less per game, down a man. Down a man. And Cam York is averaging 20 seconds a game shorthanded. Oh. Oh, dear. So, so... Even strength, I think they could make it work, okay? Power play, York could absorb that. No issue. Sanheim doesn't really play the power play, but York has taken on the minutes from 
Provorov at this point. For me, it's you're going to have to basically divvy up more or less about six shifts of PK time per game between Sanheim and York. And a shift each more at even strength isn't the end of the world. That's not the end of the world. But when you're giving them three more shifts per game each down a man, that's when I think that you could start finding, you know, getting into tough tough sledding here. And look, obviously, uh, you could say, well, who's ever coming in to be the third guy could to, could take some of those minutes away, right? But I mean, Nick Sealer is playing 55 seconds a game at at um, shorthanded, so he's basically giving you two or three shifts a night on the man advantage or down a man rather. Justin Braun is playing a minute 46. So those minutes have to be eaten up too. If presumably those two guys aren't regulars next year. So you still need Sanheim and York between shorthanded and even strength to take on four extra shifts, give or take a night. If Provorov is moving on and you're not getting a roster player back for him, or at least a guy who can play on your top pair. And four shifts extra a night, three of which being uh, shorthanded time, I don't think people realize what those extra shifts can do. And I believe it was Chris Terrier who has talked about it, that an extra shift or two a night can make all the difference for a defenseman because you don't realize how much it is once you're playing. So this is why I just, people really need to be careful. And look, again, from an on-ice perspective, right? Of course. Yeah. But from an on-ice perspective, he plays minutes that are extremely, extremely tough and aren't easily, you know, replaced. And then you look at, like, the offensive zone start percentage. Like, okay, Sanheim is about 2% less than, 2.5% less than Provorov, which is okay. But York is basically at 54%, the highest on the team. Provorov's at just under 50 so now York's zone star percentage is going to come down. Look, I don't think zone star percentage means a whole lot, but it has a marginal effect. So, I mean, you're going to be giving someone a lot of tough penalty kill minutes, and I don't know if York and Sanheim are ready to step into those shoes just yet. Yeah, and it's it's and we talked about this last week. You're going to throw York into a very similar role that you threw Provorov into all these years ago. Here's a top guy. We're going to give you 30 minutes a night. Go out there and figure it out. Oh, and by the way, you've got no substantial partner to work with. You know, it's it's it is a dangerous. It's a gamble. It's an absolute gamble to to move on to Provorov. And I know people don't like the guy even before all this Pride Night stuff. You know, he was not a well liked individual, and I never quite understood why. But um, yeah, I don't know. It, it, it's a risk. It's a gamble. It's a move. And especially if they're not getting a roster player back or a substantial roster player back, um, you know, to fill either his shoes or, again, a top partner for, for York to play with. Um, you know, the, the, the by-committee thing there from York and Sanheim, even if they were to split all those minutes perfectly, you know, it's a, it's a risk, and it may not work out. And I like Cam York. I think in, in time he'll be very good, but he's also, what, 22? Just turned 22 not that long ago. You know, it's a lot for a guy to take that step and, 
It's not the minute or two or those three extra shifts per game. It's what that adds up to over the course of a season. And exactly, if they go in there, and especially if they make the playoffs, then you got to do that again in the playoffs, and it's even harder. So it's uh, you know, it's something that needs to be taken into consideration when moving this guy. Is 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 there a proper player? Uh, to fill his spot? Is there a proper way this works out? And it'll ultimately see what the defense works out to. I mean, is Nick Sealer going to be a regular again next season? I'm going to lose my fucking shit if he is. You know, whether you, you go with guys like Zamul and Adderd and start seeing what they can do at this role. And I think Zamul has looked much better ever since he got the green light as the top guy in Lehigh, um, which is good. You know, I think if he got recalled today, he would look much better than he did earlier in the year. So, you know, we, we're seeing progress from these guys, but yeah, uh, you got to be careful moving Provorov. You, you know, even after all this shit, um, it, it's a from an on ice perspective, it is a very risky move. And I don't know. We shall see uh, if they trade him for a draft pick or something. You know, I think people are going to realize pretty damn quick next season that uh, they're 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 going to miss him. Well, I think they've realized. Like the last thing I was told about him was that they're going to hang on to him for now because of the way he's playing. So they they're aware, right? Like. Again, this is a 16-game sample size, but over the last 16 games, you know, they've had a very good top or very good. They've had a good top pair with York and um, Provorov, and I think an exceptional third pair with Sealer and Ristolainen. It's been that second pair that's been the main issue. Now, let's just say, like, even if they trade him for Byfield, which is what was rumored that they wanted, like, then what are you doing? Like, like I just... I've I've battled or not even battled with people like I just tell them just like do you want to make the same mistake with York as you did with Provorov? Do you want Ristolainen to be your top penalty killing defenseman? Like, and look, I think Ristolainen has had a very good season. Don't get me wrong, but I mean, I do think it's you know no no coincidence that he's been played primarily as your four fifth defenseman who's eaten a lot of penalty kill and D zone time. But, I mean, if you start thrusting him onto the top pair role with Provorov, how long until that starts sliding back the other way? Yep. And I think that's the danger that you may find yourself in here very, very quickly. So you have to be careful. And just, like, as we close it out here, I got a text from someone with the Flyers that said, you know, barring, like, major injuries or trades that would open up a lot of spots, they're not in a rush to recall the younger guys from Lehigh Valley because they're getting a lot of minutes and a lot of experience in a playoff push. And if they do recall guys, it would be more experienced guys that have already played in the NHL, like Lexel, Zamula, Urson, what have you. So basically that tells me is they like the role that guys like Den Y.A., Brink, uh, Forster, you can speak to more guys of that ilk. Do you agree with that because you see them so often? Oh, 100%. Yeah. It, it, you know, I really like Lexell and Daynoye, specifically those two. Forrester, I think, is, is very good. He's kind of, like I said, coming on in the last few months. Um, but at this point in time, they are much better served playing on the top line and basically the top six forwards there. In the AHL, and you know whether they're making a playoff push or not, I mean they're in the picture, but kind of like last year where they're they're, they're trailing, um, you know Zmul as the top guy versus you know sitting as the seventh in the NHL. Like the roles they're playing down there are very good, um, and you know we see it with Lixell specifically when he get called up and then he's being fucking scratched or he's playing you know three minutes a night and shit like that. That's not what they need to be doing right now. Like I'm totally fine keeping Denoyer, Lexell, Forrester, Zmula, Brink, all those guys in the AHL for the time being and just letting them marinate. 
Um, if they're not going to get legitimized time in the NHL, there's no reason to have them up right now. Um, and, and that goes for Erson as well. You know, if you're going to play Hart primarily and you're only going to get one backup start every two weeks, there's no reason for Erson to be in the NHL. There's none. And we've talked about this in the past with, with Morgan Frost. You know, last year when he got sent down and Nate Thompson made the roster. Oh my god, Frost can be in the fourth line. It doesn't benefit Morgan Frost being in the fourth line in the NHL just to make you feel better. You know, Erson being in the AHL as well as all the other prospects. It's the right call right now. You know, let this roster figure it out. Wait until training camp next year and hopefully Forster looks like a legit stud. And then he can make the roster and figure it out from there. But for the time being this season, them being in the AHL is absolutely the right call. Yeah, well, I think I, I was happy to hear that because it, it does lend itself to the notion that they are thinking about the future a lot. Yeah. And, I mean, I, I've heard that Anisimov has done wonders for them down there. 20 points in 26 games. I guess it's 27 after last night. But, yeah, 20 points in 27 games. And he, uh, <coughs> when he first showed up especially, he and Forrester found chemistry immediately. Um, that, that's kind of broken down since. But, yeah, uh, it's hard to overstate the impact Anisimov has had on that roster um, as, as kind of the veteran leader down there. And, you know, he's, he's kind of taken some minutes away from Danoye, which I wasn't the biggest fan of originally. But, yeah, he's he's definitely been earning his keep and, and leading the way. Um, he's been a, a valuable addition for the Phantoms this season, much more than he would have been playing, again, fourth-line minutes in the NHL. Well, I mean, that's good to hear, right? It, it's it Because it feels like between Zamula, Forster, Denye, Brink, maybe Adderd, I don't know. Like, could you see Adderd here next season, or you think he's going to need more seasoning? I think he's come a long way defensively compared to what we saw at the NHL level last season, but he's kind of been forced to give up a lot of that offensive side that he had, which, which you know, it, it's kind of the price you have to pay to be an off, a legitimate offensive defenseman in the NHL is to be able to hold your head above water uh, defensively. So my guess, he may make it just because there's going to be an opening on the right side if they don't do anything in free agency. Um, so he may challenge in camp, but my guess is he may need a little while longer in the AHL. So, I mean, let's just say he's a maybe, but between Zamula, Adder, Denye, Brink, Forster, and I guess Lexell, right? Yeah. You have, a, you know, how six guys. There's a whole other that... batch of people to, you know, insulate your depth with. And do you want these guys joining a team with a shit culture like we saw with Konechny and Farabee and Provorov and Sanheim and Hart? Or do you want them to, you know jump on a moving train that's heading in a very positive direction. Yep. And I think that's why, and look, we, I don't think we should expect any of these guys to be game changers. You know, I, I think that between now and I'm not sure when the Swedish league season ends, but I remember being told that the plan is to bring Andre over here. So he's probably going to be that next crop in Lehigh next year. He's probably going to be like the, like the top dog down there next year during around this time. And then, you know, who's to say what uh, I would have to look at other guys that they uh, drafted. But, I mean, obviously, Tuamala has seemingly blown up in their Samson face. Samson makes the jump next year. He's an interesting one, eh? Ethan Samson? Yeah. Like, right it, shot defenseman? Right shot D. Apparently a uh, very good little uh, depth player there. I was appalled by his play during the rookie game. But, again, it's just a rookie game. There's nothing to, you know, overly read into there. But, uh yeah, apparently he's been doing pretty good. He has his ELC, and he's a right shot, most importantly. So, you know, right they, shot. Uh, desperately use somebody the, like that. Yeah. 35 points in uh, 36 with Prince George in the WHL. Like, I mean, I, I know Charlie O'Connor had a piece yesterday on um, the Flyers uh, with Brent Flair talking about some guys, and apparently they're very arguably 
very um, frustrated with uh, Samu Tuamala. And, uh, I mean, it, it sucks that the guy that went right after him was Logan Stankoven, who has 67 points in 30 games with Camp Luch of the WHL <laughs> this year as a right-shot centerman. So, I mean, that's a guy that, you know, you could Oops. have loved. You know, I mean, I don't like to really kind of, you know, I, I, how, how would you say this? Like, harp on bad one bad pick, and especially in 2021. Especially that year, yeah. Like, wasn't that year the cook the complete crapshoot year? Yep. It, it does suck, though, with uh, that, you know, st- that's exactly what the doctor would have ordered. And Tuamala already has his ELC on top of that, so... I mean, they, they bet on the upside with Tuamala, right? That's what that's, basically uh, what it was. Yeah, that's, <laughs> that's a way to put it, yeah. And now he's in the B League of the Swede? I don't even know. He's from, he's from Finland, he's so he's Finnish, in the B yeah. Finnish League. I don't It's unfortunate. <laughs> Logan Stankoven would have been exactly what the doctor ordered here. Yeah, that's very on brand for the Flyers, eh? <laughs> but, I mean, I guess as a whole, they have drafted... It seems like as a whole, like you, you look at, okay, 2021, they don't have a first, seemingly a bad pick with Tuamala, but you have Kolosov, who's just a, seems like a phenom early on. Brian Zanetti, who has seemingly continued to, you know, have good seasons in the OHL with East Ethan Sampson was in the, uh, was a draft pick uh, that year as well. And then last year's the interesting one. Obviously, you have Goatsy, but I wonder how these guys, Kaplan and Bump, are going to turn out to be. Obviously, going with size with those two picks. Yeah, I don't know. I don't... Uh... <laughs> not the prospect guy here to uh, no, I mean, talk no, about no. a lot of these newer guys. Um, but, yeah, we shall see how their drafting works. And I mean, we really have not seen a lot of the um, the outcomes of a lot. Outside of Cam York, is there anybody that... Fletcher drafted that as a regular at this point. A lot of the guys are rookies in the AHL right now. So. Yeah. yeah. Well, I mean, the the Fletcher guys, obviously Cam York, who's on the cusp. Who, yeah. I mean, he is an AHLer right now. But guys who are on the cusp for next year, like Brink, Adderd, Forster, Den YA. I mean, I, I get Wisdom went to the ECHL, right? Uh, he's currently a scratch in the AHL. He was back up because of the uh, ECHL All-Star game, and they never sent him back down yet. Okay. And I, so I guess to this point, his best pick in a lot of ways, given where they found him, is Denwaye, right? Yeah, I put that in a piece uh, the other day, looking at Chuck Fletcher's best and worst moves and the pick to uh, the the trading two seventh round picks to acquire the fifth round pick that drafted Denwaye. Looks like a legitimate diamond in the rough. Um, we'll see what his talent level is at the NHL. That's always the biggest question when it comes to this kind of stuff. But I really do like Denwaye and what he's overall done um, in the AHL this year. It's you know. Again, whether he develops and what he what role he ultimately plays in the NHL, I think he probably slots in more like a three C two A kind of guy, um, like a Cates. Yeah, maybe I think a Cates with a bit more offensive upside. You know, okay. he has retained a bit of that goal scoring prowess. Obviously, not what he was doing in juniors, but overall, you know, his his offensive playmaking and goal scoring seems to be a bit higher end. Um, again, whether he transitions that to the NHL will be the ultimate story. But yeah, I, I like his two-way game. I think there's enough there offensively to believe in him uh, moving forward. So it'll be interesting to see where he slots in at, especially for a team that's going to be desperate for center depth. Um, you know, they could have a, at least a bottom six in-house option there for him. Well, I mean, at least uh, we have some hope here. I mean, you just have to hope that one of these guys hits. But I guess Cutter Goatsy is kind of like that crown jewel right now, right? It's the idea, yeah, but uh, I will believe it when I see it.
No. Has been impressive so far, but obviously a small sample size in Boston. Yeah. NCA <laughs> doesn't matter. <laughs> yeah. And then Forster, but I mean, I guess he's more of like a second line guy. Oh yeah, I'll be interested to see what Forster tops out at. I I I, I he's I think his speed has gotten better. The goal scoring confidence is there. He's still taking fucking stupid penalties. He's one of those guys that just <laughs> sees red when something happens and then takes a dumb retaliatory penalty because of it, uh, which is which is annoying. It's probably the biggest part of his game that I would clean up at this point. But yeah, I, I definitely like what I'm seeing. The progression has been there. Um, obviously shaking off the rust from missing most of last season with a shoulder injury. Um, so coming back and, and looking as good as he does. It's good. I, I think. Uh, I, I, I. My guess is they're keeping him down there because they want to see him hit that next level. Like I think he's very good. I think he can make the NHL right now and probably hang just fine. But you know, it's kind of about seeing that next level, seeing if he can be that you know legit game changing forward that they hope he can be. And um, he's trending in that direction, but not has uh, has not quite gotten there yet. So that'll be the uh, story for his development the rest of the year is whether he can truly put this team on his back and, and carry them as a star. I guess time will tell for all these guys, right? Yep, that's all you can do. Sit and wait and watch the Flyers lose some more. In the meantime. (laughs) (laughs) Alright everyone, we'll call it a day here. Um, I don't know what the schedule looks like. Uh, At Dan the Flyer Fan, at Brotherly Podcast, Brotherly underscore pod. Check out the website, all kinds of stuff up there right now. And uh, Anthony, where can people find you on Twitter? Uh, You can find me at ADEMARCO25. Alright everyone, until next time, goodbye and good night.